Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt. Say it along with me, this one's going to be outside the usual wheelhouse of the show. It's another one of those seemingly random topics, but I'm covering it because I do feel like it affects me personally and perhaps you as well. When I was young, I tended to be naturally thin, although sometimes my weight would fluctuate a little, but around my late 20s, early 30s, I started to gradually or steadily put on weight, and it didn't even really hit me just how much weight I was gaining until I started noticing how heavy I looked in pictures friends had taken at social events, etc., or when I'd suddenly catch myself in the mirror from a certain angle, maybe the side, and be surprised how big my gut was. And for context, height-wise, I'm about 5'10", and at my worst, I'd gotten up to about 227 pounds, and I had finally had enough and decided it was really time to apply myself and lose weight. And that was probably about four years ago, perhaps. You know, the way time flies, who knows? But I managed to lose over 50 pounds and got myself down to my BMI of 174. And one of the ways I did that was by switching from sugary beverages like soda and sports drinks to diet drinks. I also switched because a doctor thought that my consumption of high fructose corn syrup was raising my uric acid levels and causing me to suffer or develop gout-like symptoms, inflammation and pain in my feet, etc. And I know that might sound strange, but supposedly high fructose corn syrup is so highly processed that your body doesn't have time to break it down like it would with natural sugar, so it kind of speeds through your system, quickly raising uric acid levels, leading to the buildup of uric acid crystals in your joints that can cause the pain and inflammation associated with gout. And gout used to be considered kind of an old person's disease, but supposedly people are getting it younger and younger because of, at least here in part, the standard American diet, all the processed foods, the high fructose corn syrup that people consume, and we know here in America that there's a big problem with obesity, and there's definitely a link between gout and obesity. And traditionally, things like red meat, seafood, shellfish, alcohol are thought to be triggers for gout, and, and they are. But I was surprised when I read at least one article that suggested that sugary beverages sweetened with high fructose corn syrup could possibly be at least as bad as alcohol for triggering gout. And I believe most gout triggers contain something called purines. And in the process of breaking them down, your body creates what is essentially the waste product, uric acid. In the case of high fructose corn syrup, once again, it's because the uh, because high fructose corn syrup is already so highly processed, your body doesn't have time to break it down like natural sugar. And I think it's also because it contains fructose, which um, is a sugar known to, to raise uric acid. But when you eat things like um, fruit that naturally has fructose, etc., your body has time to break it down normally.
So with the exception of an occasional drink like juice or soda made with cane sugar, I ditched sugary beverages and moved to diet drinks that contain artificial sweeteners like flavored water, Pepsi Zero, that kind of thing. And I went from being someone who was absolutely disgusted by the taste of diet drinks to someone who's constantly chugging them around the clock. And one of my older brothers who struggles with serious mental health issues used to constantly chug diet soda. And everyone in the family thought it was just some weird quirk, a manifestation of his mental illness. But I can now relate. There's something about diet drinks. I don't know if it's simply the caffeine or the way the artificial sweeteners trick your brain into craving even more, or some combination, uh, or maybe even some of the additional ingredients like ginseng or green tea, which may be giving you, know, you an additional kick that you want more of. But yeah, diet drinks really seem addictive or habit-forming. And I've known for a long time now that there's been lingering concerns about artificial sweeteners, and it always seemed like aspartame was at the top of the list of potentially harmful sweeteners. And I think one thing that kind of added to this pall of suspicion that hangs over aspartame is the fact that Donald Rumsfeld, back in the 70s, I believe, uh, this was obviously prior to his time in the Bush administration, supposedly pulled strings in order to have aspartame approved. At the time, I believe he was the chief executive officer for the pharmaceutical company that discovered aspartame. I think it was called Seer or Cyril, something like that. And this is actually straight from the Department of Defense, and it's, it regards Rumsfeld. He served as the 13th U.S. Secretary of Defense, the youngest in the country's history, from 1975 to 1977. From 1977 to 1985, he served as the chief executive officer, president, and then chairman of G.D. Searle. S-E-A-R-L-E, -E, I think that's how it's pronounced, and co a worldwide pharmaceutical company. And this is from a really old Guardian article. It's from 2005. But I picked it because in the beginning of the article, it discusses Rumsfeld. And for context, this is a British article, and it's entitled Safety of Artificial Sweetener Called Into Question by MP, which stands for Member of Parliament. Examples cited in the comments of the 6,000 products with aspartame. And so it's by Felicity Lawrence, consumer affairs correspondent. And we probably don't need to know, but it was so long ago. But specifically, this article was published on Thursday, the 15th of December, 2005, once again. And so it begins, in 1977, Donald Rumsfeld, now George Bush's defense secretary in Obviously, once again, very dated article, but then chief executive of the pharmaceutical company GD, GD, I'll try that again, I'll try it a third time, GD Cyril, publicly stated that he would, in quotes, call in his markers to win a license for aspartame, the sweetener that had been discovered by chance in Cyril's laboratories, according to Roger Williams in the Commons yesterday. And I don't know if it's accurate or not, but I believe I read elsewhere that earlier in the 70s, I think it may have been 75 or 74, that aspartame had already been approved for use in dry goods. 
Mr. Williams, MP for Brecken and Radnorshire, I think it is, said in an adjournment debate that there was much controversy about aspartame safety at the time, but, in quotes, Rumsfeld appears to have honored his pledge, and by that he probably means to call in his markers. In fact, once again, in quotes, the history of the approval of aspartame puts public health regulators and politicians to shame. And the article continues, the sweetener is now used in 6,000 products, from crisps such as Walker's Prong Cocktail and soft drinks including Diet Coke and Robinson's Fruit Squash Chewing Gum such as Orbit and vitamins, pills, and medicines. Yet the science of which it was given approval was, in quotes, biased, inconclusive, and incompetent. There is compelling and reliable evidence for this carcinogenic substance to be banned from the UK food and drinks market. And so... Obviously, much of this is the opinion of this particular member of parliament. Doesn't mean his claims aren't true. Uh, I imagine there's a good deal of truth here. I just, out of a sense of responsibility, I want to highlight that much of this is coming from this member of parliament. On the day of his inauguration as president in 1981, with Mr. Rumsfeld on his transition team, Ronald Reagan personally wrote an executive order suspending the head of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's power on aspartame. Mr. Williams further claimed, one month later, Mr. Reagan appointed a new head of the regulatory authority, Arthur Hayes, who granted a license for the sweetener. And here's a quote, the history of aspartame's approval is littered with examples showing that if key decision makers found against aspartame's safety, they were discredited or replaced by industry sympathizers who were recompensed with lucrative jobs. The MP said he was using his parliamentary privilege to highlight the strong scientific evidence that the components of aspartame and their metabolites can cause very serious toxic effects on humans and that long-term aspartame use can cause cancer. Searle, and I hope I've been pronouncing that correctly, originally submitted a host of studies to the FDA in the 1970s in the hope of getting aspartame approved. But when flaws were revealed in the science behind another Searle product, it looks like Flagel or Flagel, the FDA set up a task force to investigate 15 of the key studies submitted by Searle on aspartame. Dr. Jerome Bressler, I think it is, was commissioned by the FDA to investigate three of these studies. He had found 52 major discrepancies in Searle's clinical conduct of the studies. Mr. Williams, once again that MP, told the Commons. Tumors contracted by rats were removed before dissection, but not reported. One record showed an animal in the experiment was alive, then dead, then alive again, then dead again. And that, remi- I don't know, that reminds me of like Reanimator or is anyone familiar with, it may have been Peter Jackson. Yes, that Peter Jackson who directed the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, it may have been his first movie, but there's a movie called Dead Alive. I think in some countries it goes by a different title. It's a really graphic, over-the-top horror comedy in which a creature called either a monkey rat or a rat monkey bites someone at a zoo and starts this kind of zombie plague. Yeah, very uh, strange yet interesting movie, and I'm strange for bringing it up. (laughs) Anyway, let's continue. 
MPs were told that because it lacked funds, the FDA submitted 12 other studies to be analyzed by a research body that was under contract to Searle. At the time, it declared all 12 studies authentic. Doubts about aspartame among FDA scientists were overruled by the FDA's administration, and it was given approval. Many other countries soon followed suit and approved aspartame on the basis of the same flawed studies, Mr. Williams said. In 1996, a review of aspartame research found that every single industry-funded study found aspartame safe, but 92% of independent studies identified one or more problems with its safety. And once again, much of this article is just relaying the opinions of this particular member of parliament, but I was interested in trying to see if that claim was true, that 92% of independent studies found issues with aspartame or, you know, its safety. And I found this, so the same date as the article I've been reading from, I found this um, article from the National Library of Medicine that dates back to the same year. And so it looks like the article is indicating this is from the editor, and it says, Lean in hankies, Mr. Hanky, <coughs> I know I'm a child, editorial on the effects of aspartame and health, gives this artificial sweetener a clean bill of health. However, it seems they have ignored or dismissed a wealth of evidence, which shows that aspartame can provoke a wide range of symptoms, including depression and headaches, which I already have, so that's not good, and I've heard that elsewhere. Other studies, a total of 91 that attest to aspartame's potential for harm, can be found in an online review of peer-reviewed literature. This review is particularly worrying as it shows that although 100% of industry-funded, either whole or in part, studies conclude that aspartame is safe, 92% of independently-funded studies have found that aspartame has the potential for adverse effects. So credit to that MP in that Guardian article, because it seems at least in regard to this one particular claim, uh, you know, it's, it's backed up. And speaking of that article, I'll get back to it. Mr. Williams outlined to MPs the evidence that the breakdown products of aspartame include suspected carcinogens and toxic molecules that damage nerve cells. But the final nail in the coffin for the sweetener, he said, was a new quote-unquote monumental peer-reviewed study that should have, and once again in quotes, set alarm bells ringing in health departments around the world. This vast study conducted by the Italian-based European Romazzini, I think it is, foundation demonstrated that aspartame caused a significant increase in lymphomas and lymphomas and leukemias, malignant tumors of the kidney in female rats, and malignant tumors of peripheral and cranial nerves in male rats. Almost kind of stumbled there. These tumors occurred at doses that were well below the acceptable daily intake recommended by the regulatory authorities in the EU and U.S., and so this kind of falls in line with what I've read elsewhere and what I've been hearing for years, that pretty much from the beginning, there's been cancer concerns surrounding aspartame. And it can be frustrating as a consumer, and I'm speaking from personal experience, because it seems like there's constantly these new studies coming out suggesting these artificial sweeteners are dangerous, but then you go online and you find contradictory studies claiming they're safe, maybe with the added caveat as long as consumed at recommended doses, or doses amounts, you know what I'm saying, uh, within the recommended daily limits. 
And speaking of frustration, over the last few months, I've been making an effort to get away from aspartame. I stopped drinking Pepsi Zero and moved to drinks that are flavored with sucralose instead, which I thought was supposed to be relatively safe. And now I think it was just a week or so ago, or maybe two weeks, a new study came out suggesting that sucralose can possibly damage DNA and might even, like aspartame, uh, be carcinogenic. Uh, you can't win, and I'll, I'll actually cover that article in a little bit. And I'm not a big coffee guy, but I've actually been contemplating maybe just moving to iced coffee with almond milk or maybe buying those little one of those little bottles of liquid caffeine and making my own flavored water, put some fruit and stuff in it. Just something, well, I don't know how, caffeine's relatively healthy. Yeah, it's addictive, but I don't think it's really harmful. I think there's even certain, I know there's certain benefits, supposedly health benefits from drinking coffee, but I've been thinking about doing something like that and just trying to get away from artificial sweeteners completely. The only thing that scares me a bit about the idea of trying to add caffeine to a drink myself, it brings back bad memories of, I remember practicing with my band back in the day and uh, I used to take ephedrine. That's something I've never really been addicted to anything. Well, maybe diet soda, as I said at the beginning of this episode. But ephedrine came pretty close. You know, because I'm a naturally laid-back person. I also have asthma. And um, ephedrine would just crank open your lungs and it would give you all this energy and this kind of clean high. And I, I remember... Um, but it was one of those things, the more you took it, the more of a tolerance you built. And it got to the point where it was kind of scary, where I could feel myself on the verge of an asthma attack and it wasn't working anymore. I can remember going to a Nine Inch Nails concert back in the day with my friends. And I think I took like, there's this special kind of brand of ephedrine called Dimetadrine. We used to buy from a local supplement store called Flex Appeal. That's clever. And uh, we went to a Nine Inch Nails concert, and I think I literally literally took like 19 dimetadrine pills and drank like a fish. I, I don't know how I, I survived it. But, uh, but anyway, after they made ephedrine illegal, I tried switching to no-dose, which is basically just these big caffeine tablets. And it didn't make you feel like the way you do from drinking a caffeinated beverage. It felt very kind of artificial or synthetic. And it was just this really gross kind of um, high where you felt like you were crawling out of your skin. So I'm afraid if I tried to add caffeine on my own to something, I might get a result like that. Anyway, that was a weird digression. And I apologize for the long-winded lead-up. Uh, but I know some of you, I think, like the long form episodes. Anyway, but finally, this brings me to the story that inspired me to do this episode. And I was worried that by the time I got around to finally releasing this episode, that the story may no longer be relevant. But luckily, it was back in the headlines just yesterday. I think originally it was roughly a couple of weeks ago now, but a story broke claiming that the World Health Organization was preparing to declare aspartame as being possibly carcinogenic. Uh, my brother likes to listen to the news at work, and I remember the story broke early in the morning, and it really caught my attention because, as stated, I consume a lot of diet drinks, and it just happened to be the same day that the Supreme Court's controversial decision on affirmative... Did I say controvert? I said that funny. 
Okay, anyway, but uh, decision on affirmative action broke. And so the aspartame story just got buried and they never mentioned it again that day, at least not on the station we were listening to. Which I thought was still somewhat odd given how many products contain aspartame and how widely consumed it is. I was going to say how widely popular it is, but I imagine many people have no idea they're even consuming it. They probably know there's artificial sweeteners in their diet drinks or in the little quote-unquote sugar packets they put in their coffee, but they might not know that it's aspartame specifically. Uh, you usually have to go out of your way and scroll through the fine print or ingredient list on the back to figure that out. Although there is a diet drink I like that's bottled locally that says aspartame-free right on the uh, front label. And I don't know if it's supposed to be a sparkling water or if it's supposed to be a soda. It's carbonated. And it's just called Franny Sparkling Beverage. And uh, there's only one flavor I really like. There's a, they call it Irish ginger ale. Is there, is there actually ginger in it? I don't know. Uh, why is it Irish ginger ale? I don't know. But it tastes exactly like ginger ale. It does not taste like a diet drink at all. And th no, this is not a, uh, a paid placement, uh, paid product placement or whatever. Um, <laughs> they probably wouldn't want me promoting anything, but it does it does contain sucralose, which I you know, apparently I have to worry about now, but yeah, the, the ginger ale is awesome and it's really cheap too, probably cause it's bottled locally. Um, there's other one like there's a lemonade flavor that tastes like someone melted down a car tire, <laughs> but for some reason the ginger ale tastes really good. Yet another useless digression, and apologies <laughs> for bumping the mic there. Anyway, let's get back on track. But before getting to any updates on the story, I'll read this Reuters article that came out around the time the story originally broke, so actually uh, June 29th. It's entitled, Who's Cancer, not the band, Who's Cancer Research Agency to Say Aspartame Sweetener, a Possible Carcinogen? Why would the British uh, 60s rock band have a, have a cancer research agency? I probably didn't need to uh, specify that. Were the Who's 60s or 70s? I don't know. They have a lot of good songs. <laughs> on June, what the? On June 20, what's wrong with me? On June 29th, the World Health Organization, WHO, announced that the widely used artificial sweetener, aspartame, is set to be declared as, quote-unquote, possibly carcinogenic to humans, that's great, by the International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC. What does this mean? The IARC classifies substances in four categories— Carcinogenic to humans, probably carcinogenic to humans, possibly carcinogenic to humans, and not classifiable. For example, cigarettes and alcohol are products that are classified as... God, Peter Brady moment, classified as carcinogenic to humans. When a product is classified as quote-unquote possibly carcinogenic to humans, this means that there is limited evidence of carcinogenicity, I think, in humans and less than sufficient evidence of carcinogenicity in experimental animals. Therefore, there are limited findings that links aspartame to causing cancer in humans. The FDA deemed aspartame safe for consumption in 1981. Current 
Currently, aspartame can be found in a host of popular products, such as diet sodas, cereals, gum, and toothpaste. The FDA has, I don't know why I find that funny and gross, the FDA has stated that it is under no obligation to change regulations pertaining to aspartame. Also, the FDA has provided its recommendation on the limited amount of aspartame that should be consumed. The FDA states that a 175-pound male, so around my weight, should not consume more than 22 cans of diet soda or 116 cups of coffee with two sweetener packs per day. For additional context, another common circumstance of everyday life, electromagnetic fields from mobile phones, are also categorized by the WHO as possibly carcinogenic to humans. What does all of this mean for manufacturers that use aspartame in their products? With the IARC set to list aspartame as possibly carcinogenic, more studies pertaining to the effects of consuming aspartame will be conducted, and the ongoing debate of whether aspartame has the potential to cause cancer in humans will continue. And that's one thing I read elsewhere, that part of the reason why they categorized it as possibly carcinogenic is that they're hoping it will spur further research to try to get to the bottom of whether or not it actually is carcinogenic. Um, let's see, I'll continue. This puts companies on shaky ground because of the lack of clarity pertaining to aspartame. This was exhibited by PepsiCo's recent actions as they removed aspartame from their sodas in 2015, brought it back a year later, only to remove it again in 2020. If aspartame were to be elevated to probably carcinogenic to humans, that could open the door for potential litigation. Did I say that weird? For potential litigation initiated by consumers, court verdicts have awarded damages to customers alleging that their medical condition was caused by a substance that the IARC rated as probably carcinogenic to humans. It gives some examples. Glyphosate, or is it, yeah, glyphosate-based weed killers, therefore the food and beverage industry, has to be attentive to the ongoing scientific research regarding the consumption of aspartame. One thing that I noticed is that they go into Pepsi adding and removing aspartame and adding it again, and they mention uh, removing it again in 2020, but the reason why I stopped drinking Pepsi Zero not that long ago is because it has aspartame in it. And I'm trying to think if regular Diet Pepsi has aspartame or not. It's weird because both Coke and Pepsi have two different versions of their diet drink, you know, well, probably more than just two, but Pepsi has regular Diet Pepsi and then they have Pepsi Zero, zero calories. And if you flip the can over, they don't, I always thought it was weird, they don't announce it on the front label. If you read the nutritional information, there's actually ginseng in Pepsi Zero, which I don't have a problem with. I used to take ginseng as an herbal supplement when I was younger, but they probably should declare that on the front though, because there might be people who have sensitivities, or I thought, even as someone with asthma, I thought I read that ginseng can help asthma, but can also potentially worsen it. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, it's kind of weird. It's got an herbal supplement in it, but they don't advertise that on the front of the can. But Pepsi Zero has aspartame, but it, it tastes way better than regular Diet Pepsi. There must be a, a, a tweaked formula, or I don't know if they're using different sweeteners. And then 
you have Diet Coke and you have Coke Zero, and Coke Zero, I believe, also has aspartame. And we're talking about now, not 2020. Then there's stevia, which I believe, unlike other artificial sweeteners, is actually plant-derived. I believe it comes from the leaf of a South American plant. And I think it's considered generally safe, but I think there's some concerns about it possibly being mutagenic. And thusly, as with other artificial sweeteners, there's warnings or recommendations about how much you should allow yourself to consume in a day, uh, you know, a recommended intake, etc. And I've noticed that drinks containing stevia tend to be more expensive. I think there's a brand called Zevia or Zevia. It's a brand of diet soda that contains stevia. You can buy it in, I think, six packs or, or buy the case in cans. And it tends to be more expensive than other diet sodas. And I think it's also used in more kind of premium versions of, uh, of diet drinks like Gatorade Fit and that kind of thing. And I looked it up and apparently, yeah, stevia is considerably more expensive than sugar or even other artificial sweeteners. But before finally moving on to the updates regarding that aspartame story, I'll quickly cover the story I mentioned earlier about sucralose. And I'm actually getting this from Fox News of all places, but it seems like a lot of their online stories are actually just straight news. You know, they're not really biased or anything like the uh, like the late night opinion stuff you get on Fox. But it's entitled Byproduct of Sucralose, a Chemical and Splenda Found to Cause Significant Health Effects in New Study. Ingredient is linked to DNA damage, elevated cancer risk, and leaky gut, but sweetener industry maintains safety. Splenda is used as a sugar substitute in thousands of foods, beverages, desserts, and candies. The product contains 1.10% sucralose. The sucralose ingredient is manufactured by Tate & Lyle in the UK, and the Splenda brand is owned by Heartland Food Products Group in Indianapolis, Indiana. The study published in the Journal of Toxicology and Environmental Health found that a metabolite of sucralose called sucralose-6-acetate is genotoxic. That doesn't sound good. And it continues, that means it breaks down the genetic material that makes up DNA, explains Susan Schiffman, PhD, senior author of the study and an adjunct professor at North Carolina State University. When DNA strands break and are then rearranged and repaired, that can increase the risk of cancerous cells forming, previous studies have shown. In addition, both sucralose and sucralose 6-acetate were shown to cause damage to the tight junctions that hold together the intestinal barrier, leading to a quote-unquote leaky gut. And here's a quote, a leaky gut is problematic because it means toxins that would normally be flushed out of the body in feces, that's pleasant, are instead leaking out of the gut and being absorbed into the bloodstream, Schiffman told Fox News Digital. The researchers conducted eight separate experiments to measure the safety and risks of both sucralose and sucralose 6-acetate, which is a chemical byproduct of sucralose and is considered an impurity. And then in 
quotes here. Uh, what they what, When I went back to school for design, I think they called it a poll quote. Consumers have a right to know what they are consuming. An important point is that even if the contaminant sucralose 6-acetate is totally removed from sucralose products, it is still generated by bacteria in the gut, Schiffman warned. This isn't the first research to flag potential dangers related to sucralose. Here's yet another quote. Previous studies have shown a wide range of adverse effects from sucralose, including dysbiosis, and I don't know what that is, including damage to good bacteria in the gut, and alteration of blood glucose and insulin, Schiffman said. Consumers have a right to know what they are consuming. And the article goes on for a while, but I think that's enough. You guys get the gist. And suffice to say, I personally don't find it very comforting. It's enough to make me contemplate avoiding sucralose, you know, and I'm drinking sucralose right now. I have one of those uh, Franny's uh, Irish ginger ales next to me. And so here's another Reuters article, and this one is dated yesterday, so maybe it contains some updates. July 14th, Reuters aspartame, one of the world's most popular sweeteners, has been deemed a quote-unquote possible, possible carcinogen by two groups linked to the World Health Organization, though it remains safe for consumption at already agreed levels. And I usually trust Reuters, but this is the second article I've read during this episode, and I'm getting the feeling that there's some bias going on. It's like, how do you know that it remains safe for consumption at already agreed levels? You know, it's part of the reason why this, uh, why they're declaring that it could be a possible carcinogen is because there's concerns and they're hoping to spur more research. And there's been murmurs from experts for literally decades since the 70s that it may possibly be carcinogenic. So how can a news outlet just declare that it's safe at agreed upon levels. I don't know. Uh, and once again, I'm not, I, I'm not a, um, a chemist or, you know, a nutrition expert or a scientist. Um, so I don't know for sure that it is harmful at agreed upon levels. You know, it, it, we could find out in 10 years that as long as you stay at the recommended dose, it's fine. But my personal, just common sense, kind of intuition tells me if there's been concerns surrounding something as being possibly carcinogenic for almost half a century, maybe and it's not something you need. Maybe it's best to avoid it. You know, that's just me. But continues, the sugar substitute used in products from diet sodas to sugar-free yogurts and cough drops is a combination of two amino acids, phenylalanine and aspartic. And that seems worded kind of strangely or awkwardly. I feel like it should read aspartic acid, but I guess that would be redundant. It already prefaces that by referring to it as an acid. Uh, yeah, and that's true. Phenylalanine, which has been in diet drinks for quite a long time now, is actually an amino acid. But just because something is maybe required for the human diet or it's something that's found naturally in foods doesn't mean that's necessarily safe at higher than usual levels. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which approved aspartame in 1974, yeah, like I was mentioning, it was actually approved for use in dry goods prior to Rumsfeld 
pushing for its approval. Uh, but I'll continue. Yeah, so U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which approved aspartame in 1974, advises that products carry a warning label for phenylketonurics. People with, uh, yeah, it's worded oddly here. I mean, I recognize that word. I feel like I've read it a million times. It refers to uh, phenylalanine, and um, you usually see it on the packages for uh, sweeteners that use phenylalanine. Um, and it maybe applies to aspartic acid too, I'm not sure. But that says people with a rare genetic disorder who have difficulty in breaking down phenylalanine. So it's probably saying the Food and Drug Administration recommends an advisory warning on the label for people suffering from that uh, disorder. And I have seen that warning on a lot of diet drinks. I think maybe even, I'm trying to think if there's Pepsi products that contain phenylalanine along with aspartame. But I know I've seen warnings about, um, what's the word again, phenylketonurics. I've seen that a number of times on diet drink labels. And I can't believe I'm 36 minutes in. I, w I mean, I know I can be long-winded, but I've been talking for almost 40 minutes about artificial sweeteners. I didn't even think... Uh, I was capable of that. Anyway, I've probably said enough about this topic. Definitely food for thought. No pun intended. It really wasn't. But there's the information. I mean, hopefully I did a good job, kind of, or an adequate job conveying uh, enough of what's going on and it all made sense and you can make your own decision. But as always, thank you everyone for listening. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, which is always greatly appreciated, believe me, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the week in doubt and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. And I should get uh, find some alternative payment methods, too. I do have a PayPal address, philalbertelli at gmail.com. And people once in a while used to just, they sometimes I'd get a, uh, a PayPal uh, kind of gift, shall we say, out of nowhere from a listener. That's always uh, an, another way you can uh, support the show. And I'll look into other things. I think some content creators use Venmo and that kind of thing. But uh, enough about that. I don't want to go off on another digression. Once again, thank you, everyone, so much. And until next time. <laughs>